we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen, boy, oh boy, these guys are full of themselves. They're friends, and they think that's a really interesting arrangement. Uh, I'm not surprised by it. They're rich. They're famous. They've got time on their hands. They're both very, very vain, by the way. I mean, these guys take good, good care of themselves. Anyway, uh, they were being profiled for about the 1,000th time this weekend on CBS News, and something happened that surprised me. They started talking about someone else other than them, the late Clarence Clemens. He played the sax with uh, Bruce, and I was a big fan as a kid. The president, the former president, said something that shocked me, and Bruce just agreed. Here it is. In an ideal world, what Bruce and Clarence portrayed on stage was essentially a reconciliation, right? Yeah, and that's right. But most of your audiences were primarily white. And they can love Clarence when he's on stage, but if they ran into him in a bar, suddenly oh, uh, yeah. the N-word comes up. Yeah. You run into Clarence Clemens at a bar, the N-word comes out? Is that what he said? And Bruce agreed. Just one more time, so we're sure. You run into Clarence Clemens at a bar, and what happens? They can love Clarence when he's on stage, but if they ran into him in a bar, Suddenly, uh, oh, yeah. the N-word comes up. Yeah. He does not understand America. He has no clue whatsoever. This is what he thinks of us. This is what he thinks of America. The N-word, Clarence Clemens. The N-word, period. I've heard it like twice in my life. And half of it was in the O.J. Simpson trial. Give me a break. And what has gotten into Bruce the indictment of his fans. And take a look at his fans. Yeah, so what? They're primarily white. That sometimes happens. You know what? People who love music love all kinds of music normally. I can't believe it. But finally, finally, I mean, even the left, they've got to recognize this guy, Barack Obama, he just never was that into us, was he? I mean, 
What a disgraceful, disgraceful idea. The N-word. What kind of land is he living in? I'll get to the land he's living in in a moment. But first, may I say something about Clarence Clemens? He was gifted. So this was great. <laughs> the backup, you know, the saxophonist in the E Street Band had a solo record. We loved it. This was a hit. And it inspired me out on Long Island. I was playing the saxophone at that time. And I thought, I want to play that song. Of course, I never came close. But uh, the divisiveness, the, uh, the racialization of everything. Get over yourself, Barack Obama. And you too, Bruce. It wasn't about this. It wasn't anything. It was about the music. At least until Barack Obama showed up. Listen to this. You say in the podcast in the book that in many ways the most important story you ever told was you and Clarence on the stage together. It was not intellectual. It was emotional. It was the language of the heart. But it was incredibly visual. It was more valuable than the stories I wrote in my, in my music, you know. In an ideal world, what Bruce and Clarence portrayed on stage was essentially a reconciliation, right? Yeah. And redemption. That's right. Yeah, yeah. All right, whatever. Give me a break. <laughs> I don't care what's in his book. That's not how the world viewed it. We were <laughs> more advanced than either of these guys would like to believe. The civil rights movement was well, well, well in the past. You know, we, we actually made big strides in America. Barack Obama, I know you want to believe the worst of us. Although for a while, for a while, you pretended that you liked us, that you saw the potential in America. Remember when we gave him that big opportunity to speak at the Democratic National Convention? I mean, people went wild over what, by the way, was a, was a pretty ordinary speech. But... People really wanted to be nice to you. A lot of white people actually wanted to be nice to you um, because I don't know, actually. I don't know what it was that they were so enamored with because stuff like this, you know, you can quite frankly find it on the back of a Cheerios box. But here he goes. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that moving? Oh, my God, he's the best speaker ever. Let's make him president. Let's make him the next president of the United States. And he did become the next president of the United States. Sorry, John Kerry. He won twice. OK, good for him. Not really anybody else, because everywhere this guy looked, he was somehow insulted. All right. It's coming out now. It's coming out now uh, on this Shame on America tour he's on right now with Bruce Springsteen. I heard this. People aren't static. I think America is proof that things are not static. So you're absolutely right that we go through moments of backlash. It's, it's always happened. Uh, you, you can argue that there was a pretty strong backlash after I was elected. I think we're still living in it. <laughs> Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Stritty, pretty strong backlash after he was elected. After he was elected, he was elected twice, by the way, and he's still carrying around this resentment. You want to talk about the Tea Party? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't your race. It was your policies. It was your pension for apologizing for America all the time. You know what? A big secret into this guy and all the people who like him, 
He doesn't like people. So many people on the left actually don't like people. Take a look. One of his closest aides once made this observation. The truth is Obama doesn't call anyone, and he's not close to almost anyone. It's stunning that he's in politics because he really doesn't like people. Nira Tandon, who, by the way, was, uh, has a big job with the, with the Biden folks. Uh, if you like people, uh, you wouldn't close yourself off to the regular people. You know he lives a very exclusive life, right? You can't get within 10 miles of this guy, all right? He's ultra protected. He flies uh, private. He has the life of a billionaire, and right now he probably is a billionaire. But at any moment, he throws around the race card, and I'm really surprised because, quite frankly, forgive me, white people have been very, very good to Barack Obama, but he seems to resent the hell out of it. He resents the hell out of it. There he is hanging out with some of his top advisors, basically 99% white, by the way. He could have done more in that area. Just ask people of color who are prominent. They're frustrated about that. And he runs in elite circles, and he doesn't seem to care too much about race, except when he's being interviewed by the fake news or it somehow serves his interest. Um, he's not tackling the thorny issues of race. I, apparently, that's up to me. <laughs> uh, so many people will ignore what's happening right now. We're having, as you know, on Newsmax, a direct and honest conversation about race to avoid having a silly conversation about race. Now, there was a brief time when Barack Obama looked like he was ready to lead a serious conversation about race, but then he got scared and he hardly ever said anything like this again. Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. That's heavy stuff, and it's also true. But he got slapped so hard by the left, by people like Jesse Jackson, that he couldn't go there anymore. So he took the easy way out. And just um, when he played the race card, it was usually, I'm a victim. All right. I've been judged harshly. No, he's been given every break because of something he had nothing to do with, his race, his race. And now he can just sit back and hang out with Bruce and uh, everything is beautiful. You don't want to end up being... Just a lonely old old guy. Oh, man. That's you know, right. that's the thing we're trying to avoid, right? Right. It's been a hell of a ride. Life is good. Life is good. <laughs> he's 60 years old and he's retired. It's been a hell of a ride. Gosh, if only he would work for the community that he came from. All of those children, all of those children who are dying from gun violence across the country, but particularly in Chicago. Particularly in Chicago. He's done. He's made it. You're on your own, kids. I'm sorry. Um, although, I tell you what, we can thank Tr Obama for something. And President Trump alluded to this. If it wasn't for Obama, we never would have had Trump. You keep talking about all these things you're going to do and you're going to do this. But you were there just a short time ago and you guys did nothing. We did. You know, Joe, I, I ran because of you. I ran because of Barack Obama, because you did a poor job. If I thought you did a good job, I would have never run. 
I would have never run. I ran because of you. I'm looking at you now. You're a politician. I ran because of you. And I think for that, we can thank Barack Obama, because now we see the real potential in politics when someone's there for the people and not for themselves. I'll be right back. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say is, is that, that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? The fake news is freaking out right now in Virginia. This is a very tight race. I think the Republicans going to take it, but uh, we'll see. The poll, wow, a toss-up between Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat, and Glenn Youngkin, the Republican. Terry McAuliffe has said all kinds of weird things in his past that uh, seems to be losing the momentum, probably losing the race, too. We'll see, but take a look. He said this uh, two years ago. We don't do a good job in our education system talking about diversity, inclusion, openness, and so forth. We don't. We've got our textbooks, but, you know, there has to be a big part of how, how do you fit in, in into the social work of our nation and our fabric? How is it that we deal with one another is, to me, is as important as, you know, your math class, or your English class, and so forth, and we don't. So I think issues of equity and um, uh, race and, and things like that, um, people as human beings, know how to deal with that. I do think that Virginia doesn't agree with Terry McAuliffe. We'll see what happens on Election Day. Meanwhile, Dave Chappelle, this guy is such a patriot. He's so talented. Uh, some developments, you know he got himself in hot water, kinda, uh, for telling a lot of jokes about, well, the LGBTQ community. Hey, by the way, he makes fun of white, straight men, too. Those are some of his funniest jokes. And sometimes he makes jokes like this. All of a sudden, this lesbian fellow stepped between us. <laughs> hey, that's my girl. I said, yo, yo, my man, back up. <laughs> All right. I think it's funny. Uh, a lot of the woke folks at Netflix didn't like it. They protested. They walked off the job. Uh, the media's gone crazy. They were covering the story like it's uh, like it's the presidential election. I mean, all kinds of headlines and uh, not too much sympathy in the press for uh, Chappelle. They think that he should not be on Netflix anymore. Uh, I think it's great that he's there. Um, so they want an audience with David Chappelle. They want to meet him. They want to challenge him. Chappelle, uh, he doesn't necessarily want to do this on their terms. Very interesting how he's handling this now. Take a look. You said you want a safe working environment at Netflix. Well, it seems like I'm the only one that can't go to the office anymore. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, will he meet with the people who are so offended who work at Netflix? Uh, he addresses that. To the transgender community, I am more than willing to give you an audience. But she will not summon me. I am not bending to anybody's demands. I like that. I like that. I admire his strength. I envy it a little bit. He's rich. He's famous. He's got mega status in Hollywood. He's very tough to cancel, but even he might be vulnerable. Uh, but he's very, very confident right now, and he's 
I like it. I, I, I think it's a good example. Even though he can say offensive stuff, hey, don't we want comedians for that? Look at how he wrapped it up. But you cannot have this conversation and exclude my voice from it. That is only fair. You have to answer the question, am I canceled or not? Then let's go. Thank you very much and good night. Awesome. Awesome. Good luck, Dave Chappelle. We are counting on you. I mean, really counting on you. All right. On to the fake news again. Rolling Stone magazine trying, trying to pass themselves off as a journalistic operation. They have this big story. January 6th protest organizers say they participated in dozens of planning meetings with members of Congress and White House staff. Now, I've been through the story. It's very vague and basically deceptive. They're trying to give everybody the impression that the White House was involved in storming the Capitol. We plan to storm the Capitol. That's not what happened, and the story is uh, doesn't actually allege that, but the whole imagery around this and how it's being portrayed, yes, the White House, they say, had a big hand in January 6th. Well, planning a rally at the Ellipse, that was totally fine. You can plan political rallies. You can even call the White House and talk about having a political rally to discuss matters. You can. That's legal. Let's go to the story. Heading into January 6th, both sources say the plan they had discussed with organizers, other organizers, and members of Congress was a rally that would solely take place at the Ellipse. Two sources, both of whom have been granted anonymity due to the ongoing investigation, describe participating in dozens of planning briefings. All right, and these are some of the folks who were involved, uh, again, with White House officials. But again, here's the deal. It's okay. Here's the deal. It's okay to talk about January 6th, the electoral count, the certification. These folks did not participate in planning any storming of the Capitol. And they hint at certain things, but they don't come right out and say it. I think the whole effort is one to deceive, not to inform. Rolling Stone has gotten itself in big trouble before. They're not to be trusted. They wrote this big story about a, a rape at the University of Virginia that never happened. It had to be withdrawn totally, entirely. It was totally fake. And uh, although fake news, they protect their own, no one reportedly was fired in the aftermath. All right, we're not done with January 6th, though. Some of those um, cops are running around making noise, and no one can take them on, quite frankly, like I can. Stay with us. Malcolm Fanone, the officer on Capitol Hill from the Metro PD, who's made such a spectacle out of himself. Uh, I don't know why he's doing this, uh, but he's on the fake news all the time. Last week, he was promoting a documentary that premiered on Sunday. Today, he was on Morning Joe and um, doing the woe is me routine again. It's very hard to hear your testimony again and not want to ask how you're doing. Uh, I'm doing a lot better than I was, you know, four or five months ago. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, this is a uh, marathon, not a sprint. So but I'm hanging in there. 
What is he trying to do? Make it to the midterms? He wants to keep this going to the midterms? I think that might be what's going on here, actually. Um, it's not, it doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. Um, you know, he was back on duty the following week after January 6th. The following week, he was back on duty. Here he is looking just fine. Uh, just to recap, you know, he did respond on January 6th. We hear from him that he was injured. Um, but ever since he's on light duty and having a good time doing media, swimming in a pool, I mean, make up your mind, Fanon. Are you uh, an injured hero or are you a political activist? I think I know the answer, quite frankly. Time Magazine put him on the cover. Put him on the cover. Now, remember, though, if you ever interview him, he does not like to get political at all. Just ask him. I don't want to be politicized as a law enforcement officer. He doesn't want to be politicized, yet he goes on Morning Joe with Joe Scarborough and Mika, but don't politicize him. What else? Uh, I want to do my job. Uh, I want to be held to a high standard because I am a law enforcement professional. Uh, but I also want to be afforded the resources, uh, training and manpower to effectively do my job and to be held to those high standards. OK, he wants uh well, I think we have that in common. We want all those things, right? And I do want him held to those high standards. He should stop cursing on TV, by the way. He does it all the time. Uh, but back to the, he doesn't want to be political. This guy doesn't want to be political. Does he really not want to be political? You tell me. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. Right now, one of those parties has a cancer. And we got to cut it out. This just isn't the country that I want to turn over to my children. That's pretty political. That's pretty political stuff. You know, you can quit the police department and do this stuff full time, be an activist, whatever. Uh, but you can't do both. You shouldn't do both. That's not professional. And I think you said something about uh, upholding the standards. I'll let him finish his piece from this morning on Morning Joe. Regardless of how I felt about uh, people's perception of law enforcement, uh, that doesn't matter. I mean, we still go out and do our jobs every day. Um, and I'm proud of that fact. I mean, I'm proud of the way that uh, that I responded and that many of my colleagues responded. Um, and I'm also ashamed of of how others did not respond. Not sure exactly who he's talking about, but uh, I will say this. So many politicians right now and cops like Fanon are hiding behind the badge. You can't criticize me because I'm a cop. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about January 6th. This was a huge, huge failure, and it's not been addressed nearly adequately. They're so busy shaming anybody who voted for Trump that they're not taking the corrective measures that need to be taken. This was a massive, massive security failure. And they're pretending that if you ask about it, ask too many questions, tell this guy to stop being political and get to work, somehow you don't support the cops. That's not true. I'm not pandering this guy. I'm not pandering him. I'm not going to pander anybody. And I think maybe we can agree on that. He doesn't want to be pandered to. Watching the right handle officers who responded to the Capitol and saying that, oh, we love police. We just don't love those police. Mm. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm not stupid. Like, I, I see it for what it is, and it's pandering, and I don't want to be pandered to. That's not pandering. You want to see pandering? It happened right in front of your face, Fanon. This is pandering. The phony deference that they're showing you, this is pandering, and I'm surprised you can't see it.
And I just want you to, to, to talk about uh, that excruciating journey. And by the way, if I've misrepresented your feelings here in any way about both sides uh, attacking you and coming after you, please, please correct me. The bravery and the risk that you faced that day um, and, and even the risk you face in having this conversation, um, we really appreciate your coming in. That's pandering. That's pandering. I have an objection to how he's conducting himself now after January 6th, not on January 6th, okay? Saying I don't support what this guy is doing on TV and his uh, friends, uh, Dunn and Hodges and the rest, I'll get to them in a moment. That doesn't mean we don't support law enforcement. Hey, I don't have much regard for Derek Chauvin, do you? Derek Chauvin made a big mistake that day, paying a big price for it, George Floyd too. Uh, saying you don't support him doesn't mean you don't support law enforcement. How about General Milley? I can think of a few people that I have more contempt for than this guy, and uh, I still support the troops. Now, um, as for Fanon and uh, his fellows there, nothing on par with what Milley did or failed to do, and of course, Chauvin. But they're being ridiculous. They're being ridiculous, and it's a distraction. It's a total distraction. They should focus on their job. And uh, if they want to roll, if they want to get a talk show, have at it. But you can't have both. And if you want to show up on committees and say bold things, you're going to get some incoming. All right. Man up. It's part of the job, your new job, if you really want it. And by the way, of course, we support law enforcement. Those who go out there and do it every single day, drama free, who don't complain about it the next day. We'll be right back. So Bruce Springsteen and the late great saxophonist from the E Street Band, Clarence Clemens. These guys were great together, but Barack Obama had to ruin it. Barack Obama is now famously friends with uh, Bruce Springsteen. It's nauseating. These guys are egomaniacs. Too much time on their hands. Too much money, maybe. Anyway, they were being interviewed on the fake news this weekend, and they said something totally outrageous. We'll get to that in a moment. First, we got Eric Metaxas with us, host of the Eric Metaxas radio show and author of Is Atheism Dead? Uh, that would be nice, actually. It just came out. And also, Mark Simone, great talk show host at iHeartRadio. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to you both. Everybody good? I'm good. Eric? It's hard to be good in Jim Crow America. <laughs> All right, you. I was like, ah. all right, you're kidding? <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, hey, these days it's uh, uh, Jim Eagle, not Jim Crow, right? All right, so look, <laughs> something terribly offensive was said. Uh, Barack Obama is talking to Bruce Springsteen. They're being interviewed by CBS. They stop talking about themselves for a moment. They start talking about Clarence Clemens, the famous saxophonist who died a few years ago. Listen to Barack Obama's take on it, and Bruce agrees. In an ideal world, what Bruce and Clarence portrayed on stage was essentially a reconciliation, right? Yeah. And redemption. That's right. But most of your audiences were primarily white. And they can love Clarence when he's on stage, but if they ran into him in a bar, suddenly oh, uh, yeah. the N-word comes up. Yeah. 
The N-word comes out. Every time Clarence Clemens ran into white people at a bar, the N-word, I'm sure, came out. That is fantasy land. That is fantasy dark. I, I can't. Mark, what do you think? Uh, first of all, this is from this podcast these guys do. You got to hear this podcast. It's two billionaires in a mansion whining about how awful everything is. Uh, the, if you wanted to find the place with the least racism in the world, it'd be the music business. Clarence Clemens is a huge star in the music world. I guarantee you that he doesn't hear the N-word. I don't, uh, Barack Obama, with the tiniest resume, got elected president twice. It's not a racist country. And if it, if it was a racist country, you could blame him. He ran it. For eight years, so I don't know why he's complaining about this. Uh, yes, and you know what? He also took a shot at the, the primarily white audience, as if that's a bad yeah. thing. I don't know if you caught that, uh, Eric. Your thoughts on this, please? I, uh, I mean, first of all, the whole thing is hilarious. If you watch any of that, you realize the liberal piety. You just want to shoot yourself. It's so depressing. Uh, they make this big thing like it's 1920, and they say, "What? What is a?" What does a guy from New Jersey, a white guy, have to do with a, with a black guy from Hawaii? It's like, a, it's like a strange thing. They're willing to be seen together. I think, wh what are we talking about? They have a lot in common. They're both incredibly rich and famous. In fact, they're so famous that CBS will do a long segment on them, and they have nothing to say, nothing at all. Except, of course, Barack Obama has to dredge up racism as though it's a thing. And I think... I mean, first of all, if, if you want to have an interesting conversation between a black person and a white person, you don't choose Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama. I'm looking for like Bridget Nielsen and Flava Flav or maybe Liza Minnelli and Gary Coleman, you know, so a little more something more interesting. But these guys have a conversation that's so pious. And what you realize is that when everything's great, when you're living in a post racial America, where a black man can be elected president twice, uh, where his, he was raised by white people. His, his mother was white. Kamala Harris, the vice president, is married to a white man. We live in a post-racial America, but they have to go back. Obama has to go back to the 50s. He has to go back to the time when everything was awful and terrible. And I think to myself, was there ever a time when human beings didn't say stupid things and do evil things. In the scheme of things, this is the greatest country in the history of the world. We have overcome slavery, Jim yeah. Crow, on and on and on. So to hear the two of them kind of whining, as Mark put it, it's comedy, it's tragedy, it's, it's sort of where we are. They, they have no place to go. Their lives are so good, they have to go back to a time when somebody might have used a drunk guy used an N-word at Clarence Clemens. I, I, I don't know what to make of it, basically. <laughs> it is pretty wild. Uh, oh, and talk about here. They do something weird. They, they celebrate America, but they badmouth it at the same time. Uh, go ahead. What I do on any given evening when I'm doing my job well is I create a space of common values and shared narrative for three hours. We create that place. And that power of storytelling is you know, at its best, what good politics does as well, right? It says, here's who we are, here's a common story we share. And in no other country on earth is my story even possible. You get a lot of nostalgia sometimes for 50s and leave it to Beaver and picket fences. And that was a genuine shared story, except it left a whole bunch of stuff out. And a lot of people out. People like me yep. were left out. I think where Bruce and I 
sort of overlapped is that sense of it was necessary to revise the story. So many people are just trying to get by day to day, and they're talking about leave it to Beaver and uh, politicians, <laughs> by the way, storytelling at its best, uh, politics, uh, storytelling. I, I thought it was, uh, you know, getting the streets fixed. But uh, Mark, what do you think? I think these are two, I hate to say it, two idiots uh, with <laughs> Bruce creating a, a, a common space of values. I don't know what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> and I, I, Barack Obama's whole act is he talks very slow like this, and it sounds very thoughtful. And you think it is, but it's not. What is he saying? He, and his mother was a bank executive. Uh, I mean, this guy had a nice childhood in Hawaii. He went to Harvard. I don't know what he's complaining about. <laughs> yes, he does do that slow talking thing. Slow. It must be deep. Eric, we gotta go in a moment. Any final thoughts? Buy my book, Is Atheism Dead? It comes with a free pack of unfiltered cigarettes if you get it before Thursday. Uh, actually, my final thought is that only in America can you have a program on TV that has people like this talking about something like this as though it is serious. If you talk to actual <laughs> black people and actual white people who are now being effectively called racists by the former president who was elected by those people, you realize most people know the world is going crazy uh, and but for Mark Simone and Greg Kelly and sometimes me, you know, we would always we would all wonder, uh, am I the only one who sees things this way? We all know this is madness. And by the grace of God, we'll get through it. We're going to get through it. And by the way, Clarence Clemens, gosh darn it, he was fantastic. And as a young kid, I played the saxophone and that solo hit of his. Uh, came out when I think I was in 11th grade, and it was awesome, and uh, I'm sorry this happened to his memory. Anyway, Mark Simone, thank you from iHeart. Eric Metaxas from the Eric Metaxas Radio Show. Get the book, Is Atheism Dead? Uh, free cigarettes, whatever the hell that's all about. <laughs> See you next time. Thank you. Thanks. story from Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> Rolling Stone ain't what it used to be. Exclusive January 6th protest organizers say they participated in dozens of planning meetings with members of Congress and White House staff. Ooh, uh, it sounds like, wait a second, were they planning the insurrection, the storming of the Capitol? These members are named, but the story looks like it's a great big heap of fake news and all kinds of little deceptive tricks in here. Two of the members um, mentioned in the story join us right now. We have with us Congressman Andy Biggs, Republican of Arizona, and Congressman Madison Cawthorn, Republican of North Carolina. Uh, gentlemen, welcome. First of all, you guys doing okay? Yeah, great. Great, thanks. Everything's going great, Greg. You bet. Thanks for being here. Congressman Biggs, first to you. Uh, again, the story, I think they want people to believe at first glance, and very few people actually read anything beyond the headline, that uh, you are all involved with planning the, uh, the storming of the Capitol. They hint at certain things like that, but it, it, they actually don't even say it themselves, but that's the perception. What do you want to say, Congressman Biggs, about this story? Well, first of all, it is, it is, as you say, fake news. And it's gotten really bad when fake news outlets like CNN and WAPO actually go and say, oh, let's rely on Rolling Stone. You know those guys that got the, uh, the Duke lacrosse story so well that they paid millions of dollars out 
both to the fraternity and to a dean at UVA. So this is an, uh, a not credible story and a non-credible publication. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, if, I, if I were to get really accurate, I would say that this is probably not uh, worth putting down for your, for your parakeet's cage. I mean, that's, that's how bad this is. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, by the way, look, it is legal and totally fine to talk to the White House about political rallies. And there was a big one at the ellipse. There was no violence. The president called for a peaceful march. Uh, but Congressman um, Cawthorn, did you have any meetings about uh, activities on January 6th? You know what? That's absolutely ludicrous, whatever they're trying to imply here. And Greg, let's be incredibly clear about what this January 6th commission is. Uh, it is Donald Trump's third impeachment. They realize they can't go after him because he's not in office. So they are attacking the people who are the most problematic to their socialist cause. Uh, and Congressman Biggs, I'm sure you'll remember during the Russia hoax before I came into office, uh, the FBI would actually plant dozens of false stories to use as the basis to get a legal subpoena against Americans to spy on them. This this is exactly what's going on here. No one should give us any merit. Uh, there's why, this is what always happens when they have anonymous sources. It's because these people don't actually want to be held to what their words are because they're not true. Uh, third impeachment. I like that. But again, I just want to make sure that it is legal and okay to talk about the election. You know, we talked about January 6th, the Electoral Count Act of 1887, the certification, the objections. It is legal, and I feel like they're trying to fool people with this story, to make people think that those activities are not— we all know breaking windows and rioting is against the law. But having meetings about an election is not. Congressman Biggs. You're, you're exactly right. Um, this is called the First Amendment. People can get together and talk about things. They can even protest, by the way. They can rally. They can, they can file permits to, go, to create a rally. And in this instance, in this particular article, they conflate rally and protest with rioting and criminal be behavior when there is no, there's no evidence to that at all, and it, it just didn't happen. So, so when we start talking about this, Greg, we're talking about uh, uh, this innuendo that, that they're trying to convict people of. And the, the simple matter is this. Uh, there was a rally held that day. And uh, somebody organized it. It wasn't me, but somebody organized that rally. And they were entitled to organize that rally. And if you remember in that article that somebody says, oh, yes, these people were really ticked off. Well, you know, people don't typically show up at a protest rally unless they're upset about something. They might be upset on the pro-life issue or gun rights or anything else. It's, it, this is just a, a hack, hack job by hack reporters and a hack periodical. Yeah, and... You're right about UVA and all that stuff. And you're right. Yeah, people. That's a great point, Congressman Biggs. Hey, got to ask you uh, both, actually. And Madison, first to you, Congressman Cawthorn. Uh, these two cops, actually, there are several of them, one from the Metropolitan Police Department, one from the Capitol Police Department, walking around with major league attitude, uh, throwing shade at you guys. I'm talking about Dunn and Fanone. I think we have a picture of them somewhere. These guys uh, have been making a lot of partisan statements. They've been criticizing Republicans. Oh, by the way, they're armed. They're walking around Capitol Hill, borderline harassing lawmakers. Um, I'm sure they're good cops, but they shouldn't be lobbyists. And I got a big problem with that. Uh, Congressman Cawthorn, how do you feel? 
You know, I've never heard these people's names before. Uh, you know, there's probably big keyboard warriors on Twitter, but they've never shown up to my face, and that's probably because they're just cowards. Uh, people who are trying to just walk around big league attitudes. If these are guys are actually police officers, then I appreciate what they do to secure our actual uh, society and our democracy and what they do to keep people safe. But if you're trying to come here and uh, intimidate members of Congress, you've got another thing coming. Uh, Congressman Biggs, have you encountered either of them or any of the other cops? Um, again, I like cops and they're doing their job, their job. But when they start making political statements, stand back. You know, it doesn't mean we don't support uh, the blue in total. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, the reality is I understand uh, that that they might have a beef or something with somebody, but uh, they probably have some bad information. Just They probably took it from Rolling Stone or something, but they should not be out trying to intimidate members of Congress, uh, certainly. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've encountered them. I mean, they don't I don't they didn't look familiar to me from that picture. So and I don't remember their any the names either. So, um, you know, I, I hope that I hope that they can get over it, get off, get it going back in doing their job without worrying about it. I mean, uh, we're not worried about it. We're grateful for their protection, for their their service. But doggone it. Uh, they shouldn't be uh, roused, trying to roust members of Congress and trying to uh, uh, basically intimidate people. AOC, your colleague Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, saying that you guys, uh, well, anybody mentioned in this story, here's her statement. Any member of Congress who helped plot a terrorist attack on our nation's capital must be expelled. Uh, obviously, that's not you. I don't think that's anybody in Congress actually plotting a terrorist attack. But AOC and the left, they really do want to milk this, don't they, uh, Congressman Cawthorn? You're absolutely correct. And if they want to talk about people who were stoking the fire, let's talk about this summer of love we went through in 2020 when you had all of the members of the squad that AOC leads espousing support for these people who were burning down every single city in America, causing billions of dollars worth of damage. It was a disgusting violation of law. It was a time when people were literally terrified to go out in the streets. That's why you see so many downtown metropolitan areas are completely empty and devoid of life because of the actual protests that they encouraged. We appreciate it so much. We got to go. Madison Cawthorn, Republican of uh, North Carolina and uh, Congressman Biggs of Arizona. We thank you both to be continued. Be right back. have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Joe Biden has been telling the same old story uh, for many years, but it's all phony, uh, full of all kinds of BS. And he's always getting it wrong. The RNC put together a clip. It's the Amtrak story and the anniversary and the milestone. Watch this. They keep fastidious record of the miles you travel in an America in a Air Force aircraft as president and vice president. And toward the end of my term, fourth or fifth year as president, vice president, seven years in, headline came out in all the papers, Biden travels 
I think it was 1.3 or 1.7 million miles. A million 400,000 miles. One million, I think, don't hold me the exact number, I think it was 350,000 miles. A million 200,000 miles. One thousand, one million 300,000 miles on Air Force One. And a guy named Angelo Negri came up and he goes, Joey, baby, grabs my cheek like that. And he said, big deal, Joey. A million, whatever it was, 300,000 miles. Two million miles. A million, 200,000, 300,000 miles. You know how many miles you travel on Amtrak, Joey? And I said, no, Ange, I know. And he said, that retirement dinner, we calculated it. We estimated it. 127 days a year. 119 days a year. 131 days a year. 117 days a year. 121 days a year. 36 years. Plus, as vice president, boom, boom, you have traveled over 2 million miles. 1,515,000 miles. 2 million, I think it was 180, but 2,200,000 miles. 2,100,000 miles on Amtrak. It's a true story. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Joe, I'd retire that story forever. And then, quite frankly, you should retire. Let's face it, okay? This is not working out. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Grand Stinchfield is next, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Have a good one.